Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Brandon Lindell, Executive Ministry Pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, we're going to pick up our study in Acts, and we're in Acts chapter 22 today, Acts chapter 22, and I want to speak to you from the subject, Directed by Jesus directed by Jesus. You know what? There is nothing better than being directed by Jesus in your life. That's where the blessing is. That's where the life is. That's where the grace is. And the question for you today is, are you directed by Jesus in every single area of your life? What a great question to ask ourselves. And as I think about being directed, it takes my thoughts immediately to Uber, because I don't know if you've ever Ubered before, uh, but when you Uber, you, uh, you are directed by somebody that you do not know, going to a place that you hopefully do know. And we were recently traveling. Last week, we, were, uh, we went away on vacation as a family. I'll put up a picture so you can kind of see. There, there we are traveling having a great time post-men's conference, a little, little, little break. And uh, we, we took an Allegiant flight, which is great. Uh, we, the flight went awesome. The thing about this particular flight is the flight times, uh, the great thing about Allegiant is direct. The flight times, though, were just kind of late. So we flew in and we landed at about 1140. So by the time we get our bags, and kind of get out to the curb. It's like 12.30, middle of the night. And so time to Uber, okay? We're going to Uber about an hour drive. So we, we, yeah, some of you are like, this is unwise, man. And I'm like, <laughs> listen, I know. Uh, so we're, we got all our bags, and we, we dial up the Uber, and this wonderful person um, pulls up, and they're in a, in a minivan, and they were kind of like a little funny about the bags, you know, like, I think they had, I don't know if I loaded them or they loaded them, but I just remember it being kind of funny. Then we we're like getting in the car and they're like, don't touch the seats, I'll move the seats, which is fine. I mean, it's their car. And if they, I've never had that happen before. I don't know what they think I'm going to do to the seat, but they did not want me to touch them. So we get all the kids loaded up. I mean, we're a family of six, so it takes a bit for us to load. And I sit in the front seat. And right when I sit down, I mean, we kind of already had a bit of a funny feeling, but right when I sit down, he goes, now we're going to this place, you know? And I was like, uh, no, that's not where we're going. That, that tipped me off. This is strange, you know? And then he, so after I was like, no, we're actually going to a different location. He's like, how much are they charging you for that? And I was like, um, they were charging me 80 bucks. And he was like, oh, I can't do this. Uh, I can't do this. How about you cancel that and I'll just drive you and you just pay me the 80 bucks? Yeah. Yeah, with my kids right here with you, who I just met five seconds ago. No. <laughs> so I was a little bit, yeah, how you feel in the room right now, that's how I felt. I was like, I said, I don't feel comfortable with that. And they're like, he, he was like kind of pushing. He's like, why not? And I was like, well, I just don't. So he's like, okay. So we unload all our stuff. Okay, off the Uber, back on the curb. And I wasn't mad at the guy, but I was kind of like, that was 
we're on edge, you know? It's now like one in the morning, and, you know, Beth and I are like, what are we, you know, we're dumb, you know, like, that's how you, like, you're like, what can you do now? Well, except Uber again. So we, we said, let's Uber again. Uh, and so we Ubered, and pretty quickly, another minivan shows up, and it's a lady, and she is so nice. But I'm not joking with you. Like, we were so on edge, we're like, she's part of the syndicate. You know what? Like, we're all going down, all right? So now, I couldn't sit in the front seat for some reason. She had something in the front seat she couldn't move. Uh, and, and she was like, she could feel how jumpy we were. I mean, we were jumpy, okay? So she was like, what, did you have a bad experience? And she's, then she started talking about how safe it was. And you know what? When somebody does that, I feel less safe. They're like, I'm really safe. Like, I'm so safe. I'm like, where are you taking us? So we're like tracking on the app, best sending our locations to different places. She turns off the, off the map for the app at one point, and Beth's like, where are you going? What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, it's like, she's like, I know a good way to get there. And we were like, sure you do. You know, not going to lie. I was planning, like, if this goes down, it, I don't know if anybody's with me, if you've ever done this before, you, you start planning, like, what you would do. And I decided I was going to jump in the front seat slam on the accelerator, and I, I was just going to fight, you know, because I'm a man, and that's what I do. Um, protect my family, yeah. Uh, yes, praise the Lord. We made it out. We're, we're good. She turned out she was really nice, so. Uh, but I tell you that story because it is interesting, isn't it? How we would allow somebody we wouldn't know to drive us somewhere, simply in life, but something so much bigger as the subject of who is directing your life. Sometimes we don't even give that thought. Or we'll actually, in places where God should be directing us, we'll take the reins ourselves, or let even outside factors motivate our thinking, motivate our direction other than Jesus. And the amazing thing is, we serve a God who wants to direct our lives. We serve a God who not only wants to direct our lives, but wants to direct us in a way that it will bring blessing and grace and supernatural power to our life that we can never have on our own because he loves us. And today I want to ask you, are you directed by Jesus? Because when we look at the story of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 22, we're going to see him talk to a group of people, and he's going to say, you know what, my life looked one way, and now it looks completely different, and the real key factor in all that is I used to be running my own life, but now I'm letting Jesus run my life, and that's what's brought all the change, all the difference, and he's going to give us some insights to whether or not our life is directed by Jesus or not. And we pick it up in Acts 22, but in Acts 21, just to give you a little context, Paul is in the temple area, and a mob starts attacking him. Now, they're attacking him because they, there's been discussion in Jerusalem saying, you know what, Paul is anti-Jewish. He, he encourages people not to keep the law. He's doing all kinds of things that a lot of them weren't true. And Paul did have a Gentile with him, but not in the temple. Gentiles weren't allowed in certain parts of the temple area. It was actually punishable by death. Paul had a Gentile with him in Jerusalem, not in the temple area. But they instantly, when they see Paul in the temple area, they think, oh, he's brought a Gentile in here. And they start attacking him. And I'll just give you a, an image of the temple mount. Here's the temple mount. The Romans uh, were in charge of basically keeping the peace. 
The Tribune it was a commander of a thousand, and he is he's char- his uh, job is to say, you know what? Do not allow riots to happen in the city. And if a riot broke out, a true riot, he could lose his life for it. So they obviously this place is prone to rioting uh, because they park their fortress, the fortress of Antonio, right on the Temple Mount. That just tells you how often these things were happening, and it allowed them to move right in when things were ha- when things were going down. They start attacking Paul, and so the Romans come in and literally save Paul's life. Well, Paul, as he's talking to them, they're kind of some confusion. They think he's this Egyptian, like uh, he's an Egyptian insurrectionist, and Paul's like, I'm not that guy. Paul speaks uh, multiple languages, speaks a, a fluent Greek to the Roman commander, kind of tipping him off, hey, this is an educated guy. And Paul convinces him to be able to talk to the crowd. He's like, can I speak to the crowd? And so the commander says, okay, you can speak to them. Instantly, Paul changes to Aramaic, which is the language of the crowd. And that really brings a hush and a silence on the crowd. And he gives us three insights in what he says to them about a life directed by Jesus. And the first one is this. We need to know who Jesus is. Because here's the fact of the matter. You might be familiar with Jesus. You might live a moral life. You might be like, you know what? I try to do my best. You might even be like, I go to church on a regular basis. But the real question of your life being directed by Jesus is, do you know Jesus? And Paul is addressing this crowd, many of them who think they know the way to God. Much like, you know, the area that we live in, if you talk to people, a lot of people will identify as Christian. They'll identify, they'll be like, man, I, I grew up in a Christian home, or yeah, we went to church every once. I, I think I am a Christian, but do they know Jesus as their Lord? And so this is helpful for us as we talk to people who maybe are in that situation, or maybe you're here today and you're like, that's exactly where I'm at. I I grew up in a Christian home. I I kind of think I might be a Christian. I kind of know about Jesus. In fact, I know some of the Bible. I learned some Bible verses growing up. And all those things are good things. But the real question is, is your life directed by Jesus? Because he's Lord of your life. So what Paul does is he breaks into his story. And I can just imagine how vivid, every time Paul tells a story, how it would come alive, not only to him, but the people that he's talking to. He says, you know what? I I was a persecutor of the church, and then on my way to Damascus, I'm going to persecute more people. And Jesus shows up on the road to talk to me. And he says, a bright light shines around him. And watch what happens to Paul. Paul, who is a religious person, when this happens, look at what he says. He says, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven shone around me. He says in other places, he says it's brighter than the sun. He retells this story in Acts 26. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, which was his name before he became Paul, before he was converted to Christianity, before he knew Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to him, to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting. You know what's interesting about that? Is Paul is a person who knew the law. He knew the Torah. He knew what we would think of as the Old Testament. He knew that he was 
zealous for God. In fact, he says as much, look at this, as he's telling his story, he says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city, that's Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. That, Gamaliel was one of the top teachers. This is an educated person teaching him the law according to the strict manner of the law. So not just the law, but he's a very moral person. He's an educated person. He's a moral person. And of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Now, I don't know if you know somebody that would be in this way of thinking, or maybe you are in this sense that you're, you're like, man, I really try to be a good person. You know, I want to be as educated as I possibly can be. I read as much as I can. I want to be, you know, as moral as I can be. You know, I try to do good. I try to be the best person I can possibly be. I want to be the best version of myself, maybe is how you would put it. I also, you know, I try to raise my family that way. We're a good family. And, you know, we're honestly... If you might not say this with your outside voice, but you might think like, hey, we're better than a lot of people I know, and maybe most people I know, uh, you know, even, even Christians I know, we might be better, like more moral than them. Our fathers being zealous for God, and you know, when it comes to God, I pray. You know, I, 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 I'm about God. I'm not against God. I, I would try to take some time to meditate every day. Uh, I would try to do the right thing. All that to say, that's exactly where Paul was at. But yet when he encounters the presence of Jesus, he realizes, I don't really know you. I don't really have a relationship with you. I, I, I know a lot about God, and yeah, I'm passionate, but you know where this led, Paul? It didn't lead him to looking like Jesus. It didn't lead him to life. It actually led him to destroying his own life and destroying the lives of people. Look at what Paul would do. I persecuted the way, that's Christians, to the death, binding them and delivering them in prison to both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and journeyed to Damascus to take those who were all also there, bringing them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. You know what his moral life led him to do? It led him to be a hard-hearted person who was very hard on people. And anytime we live a life that's not directed by Jesus, because we don't really know Jesus, the fruit of our life will actually end up destroying our life and destroying the lives of people around us. It'll actually end up alienating people. It'll actually end up hurting people because only Jesus can bring life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can know God except through me. No one can live the life that I've called them to live, can look like me except by the Spirit of God because none of us are able to do that on our own. You have to know Jesus. Morals will not save you. Trying will not save you. You know what? Doing your best will not save you. It's only when you have a relationship with Jesus. And that's what brings real fruit in your life. And Jesus said, you know what? It's by your fruit that you'll know them. So if you're like, man, do I know Jesus? Well, then look at the fruit of your life. Does your life look like Jesus? I didn't ask if you were moral. I asked, does your life look like Jesus? Well, what did Jesus' life look like? Jesus brought God's power and his kingdom into situations. That means that you're sharing your faith. 
That means that when people are around you, they want to be with Jesus. They don't think you're awesome. They think he's awesome. They don't want to be like you. They want to be like him. There's power accompanying life. You know what? Jesus said, you know what? By, he said, greater things than I've done, you will do. So there's a power that accompanies your life that when you, you when you're encounter a situation that needs his power, you're ready. It's a fruit that comes from knowing him. Look at how Jesus said it in John. He said, I've called you my friends. That's a relationship. When you have a relationship with Jesus, for all that you have heard from my father, I, that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, meaning that it's lasting. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Ask and you will receive that your joy will be full. The difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus is it's a relationship that brings a partnership in prayer where you see God do the supernatural in your life. And that's where the joy is. And it's true for even, even people that are Christians, when they move away, they're not walking in relation, close relationship with God. They find themselves doing the duties of Christianity, but not walking in relationship, and therefore they don't have any joy. Because that's where the joy is. That's where the life is in knowing Jesus. Paul says, you know what? I lived this way, and it was lifeless. But when I came to know Jesus, it's what changed my life, and it absolutely changed his life. He was healed, and he was saved and put on a different path. Look at it. And since I could not see the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand with those who were with me and came to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the way of the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. And that's the moment when Paul found Jesus that changed his life. Not only do you need to know Jesus, you need to do what Jesus says to do. He says, you know what? I want you to rise and go. And I want you to go back into Damascus. He says, you know what? I have things for you to do. The truth is, as believers, and as in the question about being led by Jesus is really answered in when you have an encounter with the Lord, are you doing anything about it? Do you do what he tells you to do? You know, because oftentimes when we have an encounter with God, he'll put things, he'll put his hand on something in your life and say, you know what? I want you to change that. You know, I want you to get rid of that. You know, I, I want you to change the way you're doing your schedule. I, you know, maybe that for you that you're not spending any time with the Lord and the Lord spoke to you and said, you know what? I want you to spend time with me, but you're not doing anything to change your schedule. Maybe the Lord spoke to you in his presence and said, you know, I want you to get rid of that, but you're not doing anything to get rid of that thing that is honestly hindering you from the life that God has for you because God loves you. He wants to work in your life powerfully, but you're going to need to get rid of that thing that's blocking you from the Lord. Maybe God's put it on your heart. Just like with Paul, he says, you know what? I want you to get up and go into Damascus. I, I want you to go see Ananias, I want you to get baptized, get saved. Maybe God's put it on your heart to give your, your life to him. You've never given your life to Jesus. And maybe the reason is you're like, man, I know who Jesus is, and I, you know what? 
I'm trying. And do I really need to do that? And here's, here's a principle for you. Oftentimes we hear uh, that phrase, it's the thought that counts. Anybody ever heard that? It's the thought that counts. Now, if you're married or you're thinking about being married or you're engaged, let me help you out, all right? That's not true. <laughs> you don't want to ride on that logic, it's the thought that counts, okay? Because that, that will not bless your marriage. It's our thoughts put into action that actually makes the difference. You know what? Not only is it Mother's Day today, but it is also uh, Eli and Avery's one-year anniversary today. One year of marriage today. So, I've, first of all, uh, Eli, do you know that it's not the thought that counts? Yeah. <laughs> Avery, does he know that it's not the thought that counts? Okay, good. Yeah, Eli, did you remember it was your anniversary? Did. You did. Oh, can we give him a hand for that? Give him a... Avery, uh, d is he doing a good job in marriage? Because you love your husband? But, well, we want to say congratulations to you guys. Congratulations. Can we give them a big congratulations? They are so sweet. Love that. You know, it's not, it's not the thought that counts, as Eli will tell you. <laughs> or maybe when it comes to Mother's Day, make sure you, you, you reach out to your mom, that you give her a gift, that you tell her you love her, because it's not the thought that counts. It's the thought with action that makes a difference, that tells you. You know, it's funny. We... we probably all agree as I'm talking, you're probably like, yes, Brandon, I'm 100% with you that in like, like a relationship, like marriage or, you know, even like Mother's Day or a close friendship, you know, it's not the thought that counts. And you would say you agree on that. But then when it comes to a relationship with the Lord, you're like, you know, God knows my heart. Like, I don't have to do that because God knows where I'm at. And honestly, that shows that he's not Lord of your life because you're not doing what he asks you to do. And if you want to see God's power work in your life, then you need to do what Paul did and say, you know what? I'm going to do what he asked me to do because I want to see him work in my life the way he wants to. That salvation, as you, God's putting it on your heart to get saved, you're going to say, God, I'm not only going to think, oh, that would be a good thing to do, or maybe I need that, or maybe one day when I'm ready, I'm going to do that. God, if you're speaking to me about it, I'm going to get up and go. You watch God's power Work in your life. God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to make changes in my life. I'm going to stand for you. God, I'm going to declare that I follow Jesus. You watch God's power and blessing in your life as you step out in faith to do what he's speaking to you. As you say, Jesus, I'm going to let you direct my life. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know, God spoke to you about a situation in your life where there's unforgiveness. And he said, you know what? You need to forgive that person. And you've thought, yeah, that would be a good thing to do. But you've never done anything about that. And unforgiveness becomes a blocker to power in your life. Becomes a blocker to the work of God in your life. And you need to say, God, if you're speaking to me about that, I'm going to do something about what you're saying. Now, let me say this. If there's unforgiveness in your life, maybe somebody did something to you and they don't even know they did it to you. And you've been carrying that. The best thing to do is not necessarily to go to them if they don't know about it, but just to forgive them. Because sometimes you, 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 if that happens, you'll, you'll see it where people go and they go up to somebody and they're like, you know, you may not know this, but I've been extremely bitter towards you and, uh, and I'm mad at you and all these things. 
And they didn't even know, and it's just shocking to them. And what would have been better to do is just forgive them and love them. One of the ways you can do that is just send an encouraging text and say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I want you to know I love you. That bring a lot of healing to your life. Or maybe you did have a situation with somebody where it wasn't good and things were said and you've been carrying that. Let me tell you, if the Lord's speaking to your heart and the Lord, honestly, he won't allow you to carry unforgiveness. So as I'm talking, if it's happening in your life, he's probably speaking to you. And he's saying to you, you know what? You need to make that right. I can promise you he's doing that because he wants to bless you. But it's as you do what he's telling you to do that you will experience the blessing in your life. Very similarly, think about things like giving. You know, God says, you give the first to me. The tithe belongs to the Lord. And maybe God's spoken to you about that, but you've never done it. I just want to encourage you. God is speaking that to your life to bless you, but you only experience that blessing if you do what he says to do. Whatever it is, whether it's salvation or forgiveness or giving, whatever that area of your life that God's speaking to you, I just want to encourage you to say, God, if you say it, I'm going to do it because you're saying, God, I want to be directed by you. And oftentimes, if you're not seeing God direct your life, you need to go back to when he last spoke to you because he's saying, you know what? How about we do that first and then I'll give you more direction. I'm just not hearing God speak to me. I'm not hearing this. Well, have you done what he's asked you to do? As you go back to that, you'll see him work powerfully in your life. And honestly, a little repentance needs to couple with that, saying, God, I heard you speak to me here. And as I've thought about it, God, I know I, I didn't do what you asked me to do. And Lord, I'm sorry. That's a good thing to do. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. But it's, it's how it works. And it is emotional. It's not something... You're in a relationship with God, the king of the universe, and he's speaking to you. And when you say, God, I value that, and I haven't valued that, there's an emotional attachment to that, a relationship where God brings healing to your life. But you won't experience that unless you say, God, I need that. And, and God wants to move you forward. You know, you hear God has a plan for your life. You hear God has a purpose for your life. And maybe you've gotten disconnected from that. And you're like, I don't really know how that works. Maybe it's because you're not walking in obedience. And if you just said, God, I want that. I need that. Holy Spirit, speak to my heart where that has not been the case, where I have not honored you, where I have not followed in obedience. And he will. And the healing that comes to that, the power that comes to that is so amazing. But it happens as you saying, God, I want to be directed by Jesus, but I know it starts with me being obedient. And God will work in your life in a powerful way. Third, go where Jesus sends. You need to go where Jesus sends. We'll pick it up here in Acts 22. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. So what, what happened is Paul encountered Jesus on the road, went to Damascus. He was prayed for. He was healed. He was saved. And, and then he starts seeking the Lord as much as he can. And, and honestly, when, when Ananias came and prayed for him, he said, hey, God saved you because he wants you to declare about Jesus. He wants you to tell people about Jesus, what's happened to you and how it's happened to you. And Paul instantly and logically so jumps to the conclusion, well, that must mean God wants to send me to Jerusalem because they know who I am. I mean, honestly, this whole story in Acts 22 is speaking to that fact. These people know me. 
This is what makes sense. But the thing is, God had a different plan for Paul than Paul had. I don't know if that rings true for anybody, but uh, sometimes we can think, oh, this is what God wants for me, and God has something completely different. Look at in Acts 22. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And I saw him, that's Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Now, just so you understand what's happening here, uh, back in August, uh, we, there was a message my dad preached on Acts uh, chapter 10, and it was about Peter. Uh, he's, uh, there's going to be some people coming who are Gentiles. Jews didn't really associate with Gentiles. They're going to come to him, and, and he's going to go share Jesus with them. But Peter would be very averse to doing that. He's, you know, very averse to, you know, being a part of any of that. Eating with Gentiles was not something Jews did. And so he, he also, praying in the presence of the Lord, has the same word, falls into a trance. The word is uh, ecstasia. It means ecstasy. It's, it's an overwhelming experience in God's presence, where God's power comes on you. Uh, in the, some people call it being slain in the spirit. And that term came out of the Second Great Awakening. Uh, and prior to that, Jonathan Edwards experiencing the same thing. There was a move of God with Jonathan Edwards, seeing the same things happen. Uh, he called it being overwhelmed by the presence of God. So whatever you want to call it, uh, that is what's happening here. And it's in the Bible. It's clearly in Scripture. And often God does that when he wants to move us in a direction, he wants to send our lives in a direction, or he needs to help us with something we're thinking and we're just stubborn. So watch what happens. Fell into trance, saw Jesus saying to him, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And this is Paul saying, and I said to the Lord, <laughs> Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself standing by, was standing by and approving, watching over the garments of those who were killed. And he said to me, hey, that's great, Paul. Uh, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, I, I, I introduced a little humor into it because I do think it shows Paul is a strong personality. Paul's the kind of guy that when he gets set on a course, he's going that way. He, when Paul wants to do something or Paul thinks something is important, he's going to say what he thinks needs to be said. He's going to do what he thinks to be done. And he is set on a course that, hey, it only makes sense. God has saved me. He wants me to declare who he is, that I do that in Jerusalem until he has an encounter with Jesus. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. God's sending you in a direction and you think you know better than the Lord. And you start giving God all the reasons why, A, it can't happen, or why you're not qualified. I want to remind you of a few things if that's you. First of all, God is not obligated to get your approval on his plan for you, all right? I, he is in charge. And so if God is leading you and speaking to you, he wants you to go. For some of you, that's just like, and it's as simple as this, I mean, you think about life direction, but you can also think about it this way. At work, God's speaking to you, and several times he's encouraged you to share your faith. And you're arguing with him, being like, you know what, Lord, I don't know enough of the Bible. God, I'm not, these people knew me before I was saved, and now they know me now. And that honestly, like, Lord, I think I need to give it a little more time. 
or Lord, I'm just not really good at talking, you know, and all the things. And God's not obligated to get your approval for his plan. If he says go, you go. If he says go, then you need to say, God, I want to do what you called me to do. And, and secondly, God knows everything. And many times that takes you outside of what you're able to understand. So, for example, you might have a lot of good reasons for why you're not doing what God is asking you to do. They might, not, they might be like, man, on paper, that looks logical. And that's what I would say about Paul's argument. On the surface, it looks like a very logical argument. Yeah, hey, I know Jerusalem. They know me. They know who I was. They're going to see who I am. It's going to be great. And Jesus is like, no, I actually have a better plan for you. And my plan is going to be better and more effective. Think of how much of the New Testament we get because Paul ministered to the Gentiles. Think about Ephesus and the revival that happened there and the world literally being turned upside down because Paul didn't do what he wanted to do. He did what Jesus wanted him to do. And the fact of the matter is there are going to be things that God knows because he's God and things God understands because he's God because the Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And some of you just need to yield to that, to say, God, I want to go where you want me to go because I want to see you work in my life and be as effective as you're calling me to be. Third, God's clearest direction comes in his presence. What we're seeing happen here is Paul is in the presence of the Lord. He's in the temple. He probably goes up there at the time of prayer, like Peter and John do earlier in Acts. Believers would go up there at the time of prayer, and he's in the presence of the Lord. And that speaks to a couple things. First of all, there's power in the corporate gathering of the people of God to be in his presence. That's why the prayer meeting is so important. Because as we're walking with the Lord as individuals, it's so critical to have our own personal time with God. Jesus talks about that. It's a powerful thing when you have your personal time with God, but it's not a substitute for corporately being in the presence of God and vice versa. If you only come to church, don't have personal time with God, that's not good. You need that personal time with God, building your relationship with Jesus. But at the same time, if you're saying, you know what, I spend time with God and, you know, church is just, you know, I can have church by myself. That's not biblical. It's not true. You need to be corporately in the presence of God. And I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Number one, if you're not doing well, your emotions are out of whack. You're in a depression. You're struggling. Your faith is weak. There's something about getting in the corporate gathering of God's people that instantly elevates your faith, that lifts you out as you worship. You get your eyes on Jesus, and that's hard to do in those times on your own. Or you're headed in a direction. You're stuck in your own thinking. You're like, this is where I'm going. Getting in the corporate presence of God, God can speak to you in a way that is difficult at times when you're by yourself. It's not that it's impossible, but it's how it happens here. And it happens all the time as we're in the presence of God in the prayer meeting. I just want to encourage you. You need to be in God's presence. That's where God's going to direct your life. That's where God's going to speak to your life. And with Paul, God's presence overwhelms him. He's He's headed in one direction, and God's like, I'm going to get a hold of you. 
Now, I really want to encourage every single person, if you want to be directed by the Lord, then you need to be open to the Holy Spirit working your life in a powerful way. Saying, God, some of you know you're stuck. Some of you know you're stubborn. And you need to be open to saying, God, I know this is where I'm at. So God, I'm going to get in your presence and I'm going to ask you to change me. I'm going to ask God for your power to come on me, God, and change me and speak to me. And you're just waiting for it to happen somehow, but it's not going to happen that way. It's going to happen as you say, God, I want everything you have for me. And there, over and over again throughout the Bible, whether it's Abraham or Ezekiel or John in Revelation or Peter on the roof or Paul here, people encountered the presence of God in a way that was overwhelming. And I'm using that term just in case slain in the spirit, just you're not able to get over the term. But God did that to people. He puts them down because he wants to speak to them. And he directs people's lives. And he's a God who's so good that he says, you know what? Sometimes when your understanding gets in the way, I'm going to help you out. And all of us need to say, God, I want what you have for me. And God, I want to go where you want me to go to do what you're calling me to do because I know you. And that's where the power is. That's where the blessing is. That's where the anointing is. And God wants that for every single person. And God has that for you. The question is, are you being directed by Jesus? If you're a Christian, you can have areas of your life where that's not happening. And I, the Lord's speaking to you and you need to give it to him and say, God, I give this to you. I want to be directed by you because I want to experience your voice, your power, and your presence. And if you're not living for the Lord, you don't have a relationship with the Lord, it starts with knowing who Jesus is, not knowing about Jesus, knowing who he is. And when you know him, it puts you on a path being directed by him that will change your life. Amen.